Karen, I want you to come on a little imagination journey with me. Now, this sounds like a guided meditation. <laughs> Apologies for that. Close your eyes. Got them closed. Imagine, imagine you're at home. You're going to walk to the fridge to get some food, get a snack. Mm. Uh, you open the fridge door and there's some toilet paper inside. What? What? <laughs> Why? Toilet paper in the fridge. What? Sorry, I've kind of ruined your meditation mood there. Because of TikTok, obviously. The reason all weird things are in weird places. TikTok, the latest hack doing the rounds on the talk is to put toilet paper in your fridge to soak up any odours or unwelcome smells. Ah, uh, okay. Honestly, that makes a bit more sense than what I was thinking. I thought maybe people just wanted something chilly down there. <laughs> maybe like a new take on an ice bath. You've got to, you've got to have bum. an ice bum. No, no, it's not that. It's for when, you know, that bag of spinach that's been there for possibly six months starts to turn into a bit more like nuclear waste. You can just lob a toilet roll in there and voila, apparently no more pong. How does that actually oh, work? Aaron, look, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I don't I don't understand chemistry. I just bring you unfounded TikTok <laughs> hacks. Though I do promise everything else on today's show, it's a lot better researched. <laughs> Let's get into it right now. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Jess. And I'm Aaron. And this is what's worth talking about. Being gay in the exclusive brethren, not an easy place to be. We speak to a man who had to give up his family to live a life true to himself. A week on from those special votes and we're still governmentless. So what's holding up coalition negotiations? The South Pacific has long prided itself on being nuclear-free, but Australia's new treaty with the US and UK means that stance could be slipping. And is it cake? Pick the fake headline from the real one to prove you know the news. All that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Conversion therapy has long been discredited, and as you'll no doubt remember, it was actually banned in New Zealand last year, but somehow there are still some who believe it's possible to change a person's sexuality. That belief is a feature of some religious communities, and now there's a book that details one person's story of how they were excommunicated from the exclusive brethren after coming out as gay. For Craig Hoyle, who's also a senior staff journalist, leaving the exclusive brethren meant saying goodbye to his family forever. Craig is with us now. Kia ora, Craig. Thank you for coming on the show and thank you so much for your openness and sharing your story. And just a warning to listeners who might find this uh, topic upsetting. Now, being gay and being in the exclusive brethren, I can't imagine those are two things that go very well together. So can you tell me a little bit about your story in regards to that? Kia ora. Thanks, Jess. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Growing up in the exclusive brethren, which was a very very closed, very controlled religious community um, with no social contact with the outside world. There was absolutely no way of being gay in that community or of being gay in any way that allowed me to be true to myself. The only way that I could have stayed in the Brethren was by completely suppressing who I was, marrying a woman, having a family and basically spending the rest of my life denying my identity. Were you asked to go through some form of conversion therapy? Yeah, so when I came out, and I came out to the priests because I believed that being gay was a sin and it was something that I needed to confess, they approached it from the point of view that it was something that was wrong with me and it was something that we needed to fix. And so there was a lot of prayer and I was told that um, at various points that I had been possessed by demons. And I think this is what is particularly damaging with conversion therapy is that often it comes from people who 
love you and who believe that they're doing something that helps you. And if it's people that you love and people that you trust, when they tell you to do these things, you just go along with them. So when I was sent to see a church doctor and told that there was medication that you can go on to help with these things, it wouldn't have occurred to me to question that as a teenager because I was just doing what I was told by people that I trusted. What what was the medication and how did that supposedly uh, make you straight again? (laughs) Um, So the drug that I was prescribed was um, called Ciprostat, which is a hormonal suppressant that basically cuts off the body's supply of testosterone, and it's usually used for people with prostate cancer or sex offenders or so on. Basically, the thinking was that they were experimenting. The doctor told me that he was experimenting with other young gay people in the church and hadn't yet found a cure for homosexuality. But in the meantime, what he could offer was shutting down my sexuality altogether. And in their view, having no sexuality was better than being gay. During this whole process of of coming out and and then being excommunicated, how did your family react? With the brethren, when you leave the church, and this was what ultimately happened with me, I knew that there was no way I was going to be able to stay in the church and... After a year or so of the church trying to change my sexuality, I walked away and I was excommunicated after coming out as gay to my family. After leaving the Brethren, I was completely cut off and my parents kicked me out of their house and I haven't been back to their house since. There's no contact at all. haven't seen my siblings for 14 years now, the ones that are still in the church. And... Last time I called my parents to tell my mum something, she didn't recognise my voice. Wow. Can you talk a little bit for me, Craig, about how you got from a place where you felt that being gay was a sin and that you were sinning by being gay to deciding that you were going to live a life true to yourself, even if that meant being away from your family? The prospect of living a life where I was going to spend all day, every day, pretending to be something that I wasn't, um, it just wasn't something... That seemed like a realistic future for me. And I was aware of other people who had been through similar situations, had tried to suppress their identities through their 20s and 30s. And with a lot of these people, they got to their 30s or their 40s and then they had a complete breakdown and went back to square one and tried to find themselves again. And I could see that if I stayed in the church, that was the path that I would end up being pushed down. And... I didn't want to leave the church so much as I knew that the longer I left it, the harder it would be. And to me, I knew that if I ended up with, say, a wife and children and a house and all of these things, the collateral damage would be a lot greater than if I just cut and run as a teenager. It's a, it's a fascinating story that you've got. Craig, and I really appreciate the time you've taken to tell us more about it. For anyone else that is interested, Craig's book is out now. And for subscribers to the Sunday Star Times, you are uh, invited to a talk, isn't it, Craig, on the 22nd of November. It's a couple of weeks' time at the Stuff Offices in Auckland where we can hear a bit more about your story. Yes, yes, that's right. 5.30pm on Wednesday, 22nd of November. And if you can't wait until the 22nd of November, you can actually read some extracts from Craig's book, Excommunicated, in this weekend's Sunday Star Times. And actually, there'll be some features by Adam Dunning on Craig's story in the Post, the Waikato Times and the Press this Saturday. Craig, thanks so much for your time. Kia We're about to get an update on coalition negotiations between National Act and New Zealand First. 
but just how long do you think they're likely to take? We'll chuck a poll up on Insta. Do you think we could still be waiting for a government come Christmas? It's now a week since those special votes came in, putting Winston Peters where he loves to be, firmly in the driving seat. But look, we're still distinctly governmentless, although secret squirrel meetings between National New Zealand First and ACT have been taking place all week as they try to thrash out a deal. It's all very my people meet with your people, but where are things actually landing? Here to give us a bit of a vibe check is the editor of the Sunday Star Times and The Post and longtime former staff political editor Tracy Watkins. Kia ora. Kia ora. So you've been through all of this before. Yeah. Do you think we're almost there yet? One of the things I think that's quite different about these negotiations to any other negotiations previously, and they all seem to have their own unique aspect, but no one is actually in the driving seat. I mean, ACT and New Zealand First, to a large extent, are about equal partners in this. Um, New Zealand First is not able to be the the sort of like the, the tail wagging the dog or vice versa, ACT, because Luxon needs both of them, but they need him. New Zealand First has got nowhere else to go. ACT has got, not, got nowhere else to go. And I guess that's the first thing. So we're not playing one party off against the other. And the second thing, I guess, is that until the special votes were counted, and given that special votes counted for about, I think it was 20% of the vote total, which is huge, no one really knew how strong their hand was, you know. And I mean, Winston's never going to go into a negotiation with a weak hand, you know. He, he's always going to wait until the special votes come, same as ACT to a certain extent, although in a slightly different kettle of fish. So I think a week on from the special votes, we're about where we would expect to be um, if it drags on for another couple of weeks or another week if we get to the end of next week and there's still no clarity, I think I think then we're going to be seriously questioning what's going on, what's the hold up. Do we know what they're getting bogged down in, these negotiations? Well, look, it's quite interesting. Because National was negotiating equally with two partners, ACT and New Zealand First, it wasn't really able to tie down a deal with ACT until it had the full special vote count. So my sense is that ACT has a reasonably prescriptive approach to these negotiations of sort of like, here's our list and this is what we want. My sense also is that New Zealand First wants to avoid being too prescriptive because they'd much rather deal with things on a vote-by-vote basis once they're in government. And I think we saw that with Labour when, for instance, Labour announced that they were going to repeal the three strikes law and Winston came out and said, well, no, you're not, Sonny Jim. And it didn't happen. So I think we're seeing probably a different approach and, and that's part of it. Chris Luxon told us he was the man who would get things done. Did he oversell himself when it comes to these negotiations? It's been, well, I don't know because we've heard, we've heard nothing from him. So I have no idea. I mean, he's been so incredibly quiet. I think at some point he needs to start looking prime ministerial and looking like, yes, I'm talking to both sides and we're, you know, we're making progress, etc. I think this sort of cone of silence thing, okay, that's fine for a while. But at the end of the day, I think people are entitled to know just, just how things are progressing. Tracy Watkins, editor of The Post and the Sunday Star Times. Thank you so much for your insight. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It is almost time for Is It Cake, my favourite time of the week. And if you've been on our Insta, you'll have already seen the two options you've got to choose from today. And if not, stay tuned. I'm feeling pretty confident about my picks this week, so I want to see what you all reckon. And to make sure you don't miss out on any future news, be it real or fake, give us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform.
The Pacific Island nations have been strongly anti-nuclear for many decades, prompted in part by the French nuclear testing at Mururoa Atoll back in the 1970s and the legacy that left behind. It was the 80s when a treaty to make the South Pacific nuclear-free was signed at the Cook Islands. Now Pacific leaders are back in the cooks for this year's regional meeting and there are worries that nuclear-free stance might be slipping and that a new commitment is needed. To talk a bit more about what's going on, we're joined by Dr Iati Iati, who is the Senior Lecturer in International Relations at Victoria University. Kia ora. Kia ora, talofa. Thanks so much for joining us. Why is the issue of the region's anti-nuclear stance being raised now? Well, just because of the history of it, you had nuclear testing in Kiribati, you had it in Micronesia, you had it in French Polynesia, and now with the AUKUS deal, there is concern that uh, the nuclear issue is going to become more prominent in the region, especially since the Pacific Island countries were not consulted by Australia before they entered into AUKUS. Can you explain to us the, the kind of controversy around AUKUS? Well, AUKUS is about nuclear-powered submarines, but uh, obviously they'll have to travel through the Pacific if they're going to get to Australia. So. The Pacific is very sensitive to nuclear issues, as uh, you've indicated with reference to the Treaty of Rarotonga. Um, the other problem with AUKUS was that the Pacific Island countries were never informed about this, uh, never consulted, which is a bit odd because when Pacific Island countries enter into security agreements, Australia and New Zealand expect those security agreements to go through the Pacific Islands Forum. For example, the Solomon Islands-China Security Agreement but when it comes to security agreements involving New Zealand or Australia, AUKUS being a prime example, uh, they don't take this through the forum before it's finalised. So there is this disparity in terms of who gets to do what in the Pacific. And when you t- touch on an issue like nuclear, which is very sensitive to the region, here's where we get problems um, because there's lack of transparency. Australia does seem very committed to a nuclear submarine through that AUKUS agreement. Do you see any world in which that stance changes? No, I don't. Um, Australia has always been very much closer to the United States security and strategic policies than New Zealand. Um, ANZUS, for example, the Australians wanted that to be somewhat like a NATO agreement. They never got it, but that's why we refer to AUKUS as Australia finally getting its NATO moment. So in terms of Australia ever getting out of this, I don't see that happening. They're going to have to make that work with their increased engagement with the Pacific. Within the current geopolitical competition, Australia really needs the Pacific on side. The nuclear issue is going to be a sticking point. We know Christopher Luxon isn't at uh, the Pacific Forum for obvious reasons. He's got a kind of government to try and set up. But Anthony Albanese is there and he's going to spend the whole day with Pacific Island leaders today on a bit of a retreat. Do you think they're going to try and lobby him around this? No, I think the Pacific Island countries will be focusing a lot on climate change. Uh, The nuclear issue may come up. They may have some backroom discussions about it. But the focus is going to be on those two priorities that were set out in the Boyd Declaration which would be climate change and geopolitical competition. And on that front, I don't think Christopher Luxon is going to be missed too much. Pacific Island countries understand New Zealand's predicament. And also Albanese will be flying the flag for the so-called partners in the Blue Pacific, which includes New Zealand, United States, UK and Japan. Dr. Iati Iati from Victoria University. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Kia ora Aotearoa and welcome to The Big Stuff Quiz. I'm your host, Imogen Wells, alongside my assistant, the wonderful 
Chris Reid. Hello, everyone. Each week, we'll release a new episode to test your wits with two rounds of ten questions. One potluck round, and another that's very loosely themed. A bit tangential, even. Such a good word. If you think you're up for the challenge, go and follow our show on your favourite podcast platform, The Big Stuff Quiz. is out now. The Big Stuff Quiz is proudly brought to you by Melbourne. Every bit different. We've made it. We've made it to the end of the week, which means it is time for Is It Cake? Now, Aaron, first week done at Newsable. Thank you so much for your help this week. But did you think I was going to give you cake when you heard about the segment? Uh, I did. I did. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure jumping on this week uh, in my first week here at Newsable and at Stuff. And I did think... We'll get to Friday, we'll have a nice cake. <laughs> I looked at the rundown, I thought, geez, that's nice from everyone. Turns out, nah. I'm so sorry. There is no real cake, though. Hey, look, go treat yourself. You deserve it. Yeah, all right. Go find all somewhere, right. go, find, go find yourself a nice <laughs> slice of banana cake or carrot cake somewhere. No, is it cake for anyone that has not been uh, following along so far? One of these headlines is real. One of them is cake, i.e. you can cut into it and out comes nothing but frosting. It is absolute baloney. So, without further ado, here are your two options that you get to choose from this week, Aaron. Now, you are trying to tell me which one you think is the fake one, okay? So, hopefully, I've got that right for everybody at home, because I know sometimes we might ask the opposite, but tell me which one you think is the not real one, which is cake. First one, fiancé fire. Man arrested after proposal at restaurant leads to full evacuation. Second one, restaurant charges extra $50 to adults unable to parent their children. Now, 36% of our friends on Insta thought fiancé fire was the fake headline, whereas 64% of our Insta friends thought restaurant charges for unruly children was the fake headline. So, Aaron, give me some of your reasoning. What do you reckon? This is actually pretty difficult, (laughs) Uh, but I think I'm going to uh, swing against the popular tide. Fiance fire is what I'm going to go for. And the reasoning is that every sub that I've worked with has loved a little bit of alliteration. Every editor, a little sort of fiance fire number in a headline would, I think, pass the sniff test. And so I feel like that might be the go. Oh my God, that was amazing. Uh, yes, you were correct. Fiance Fire is yes. a fake headline. Well done. I thought I might have had you there, especially because, like you say, I did some alliteration in the headline. I went above and beyond. <laughs> oh, alas, you're too good a journalist. That is frustrating. Okay, so a little bit of information on the fake headline because at least I fooled out Insta people. 64% of you thought that was the fake headline. So, yes, there is a restaurant in Georgia in the US that is charging diners an extra 50 bucks US if they deem their kids are unruly and the the people in the restaurant are like what are you talking about my kid was on the ipad the whole time why am i being charged next fifty dollars and so they're telling people to boycott this restaurant it's mad I feel like this restaurant is just figuring out a way to you know get around the cost of living crisis and add a little 50 bucks to the bill that is crazy a- and the fact that it leaves all the power in the restaurant's arms like they can kind of do whatever they like exactly and well done to you aaron darlin your first win on the board man these are getting really tricky it was difficult it was difficult Thank you. You don't have to spare my feelings. Maybe I'll be able to get Imogen next week. (laughs) (laughs) That is Newsable for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jess McCarthy. And I'm Aaron Diamond. We'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Newsable. News that's worth talking about.
If you liked it and reckon it's also worth supporting, please make a contribution at stuff.co.nz support.